Ryan's guest today is Anna Santos. Anna is a PhD student in neuroscience at Carleton University with a passion for understanding how mental health is affected by the interaction between guts, uh, between gut microbes and nutrition. So thank you both and take it away. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Or here we go, Ottawa Podcast Festival. Welcome to Life in Red. Thank you for uh, the one stick around here. So, um, I usually this is the part where I'd introduce my guest and tell you the episode, but because this is a special live episode, we'll we'll forego that. And you already know who my guest is. So, um, thank you, Anna, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Um, unlike some other podcasts here, they have teams and everyone's comfortable with each other. But I, uh, since it's a guest-centered po- podcast, I had to go out and find you and solicit. Um, for you, people, and you answered me on Twitter. Um, so I'm very gracious for you joining me because um, I think what we're going to be talking about is very beneficial to those who are listening and in the audience for sure. So, as I said, you are a PhD student in neuroscience. Yes. So I think we all want to know how many years of school is that? Too many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so the reason I wanted to, for some context, for people who do not know me or listen to the show, I speak about mental health and I share my own journey and experience and I, I talk to kids and workplace, adults and stuff like that. Um, so to me, I wanted to give a little bit of variety to today to share something that I think, again, would be beneficial to you all. So we're going to be talking about gut microbiome and a whole bunch of things that encompass that. So <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people here are kind of wondering, what is gut microbiome? Yeah. yeah, sounds like a very sciencey word. What is the gut microbiome? So the gut microbiome, and to be clear, you have microbiomes everywhere, in your mouth, in your armpit, uh, behind your knee, and they're all different. So the gut microbiome is what we focus on in our lab and a lot of the other research labs because it has a little bit more of an intimate interaction with your body. So the gut microbiome is a collection of microbes, so bacteria, but not just bacteria, also viruses, archaea, um, you know, parasites, if you seem to have those, you took a trip somewhere, um, and all sorts of other microorganisms, so collectively. And it is thought that the microbiome outnumbers our own cells, used to be by a factor of 10, now the estimates are closer to a factor of three. So you really are more microbe than you are human. Yeah, we're more bacteria. And this is where the joke I wanted to kick it all off with. So there's a theory. I'm not saying it's a right theory, but there's a theory that we as humans are just vessels for the bacteria in our body. And the consciousness of our mind is actually just bacteria. (laughs) Give me your thoughts on that. You're laughing. (laughs) Uh, Well, we make a joke that it's kind of like, okay, you're the puppet, but who's the puppet master? So... Mm. The microbiome has been largely ignored um, since kind of before the 90s when this really kind of kicked off. Um, But the microbes have been shown to affect so many aspects of our normal behavior, our normal development of our hormone system, our immune system especially, um, and our nervous system. So if you take the microbes away, who are you? Mm. Okay. So... (laughs) 
antibacterials are bad then? They're, I mean, um, they're super helpful when you have, you know, right. pathogenic bacteria or if you need to take like an antibiotic because you're sick. Uh, but there is sort of this theory, a lot of people have heard about the hygiene hypothesis. It's kind of morphed now into what we call the old friends hypothesis. So these microbes have been with us since before we were even humans, right? They're on every other living organism as well. And so... I completely forgot what your question was. That's okay. <laughs> Antibacteria. <laughs> the antibacterial. Yeah. yeah. So um, having a lot of microbes is good because it stimulates um, your immune system and it makes sure that there's a lot of diversity there. So there's a lot of competition and pathogenic bacteria don't have as many chances to you know, affect us. So if you're using antimicrobials all the time, you have less stimulation of your immune system and you also have a higher likelihood of pathogens or opportunistic pathogens, which are just bacteria that are on you all the time, but they don't harm you because they're kind of being inhibited by the good guys. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's a tough say, don't go eat dirt. Oh, that's what's that because that's supposed. To, that's what you're supposed to do as a kid. You're supposed to go out and play and eat dirt, and not wash your hands to get dirty. That's an old wives' tale, I'm sure. But like to to help stimulate all the things in your in your body and get your body used to kind of bad bacteria. Is that is that totally false? Um, did not, my mom lie to me? It's not bad bacteria though, right? There's a lot of good, especially in soil. There's a lot of good stuff. Just you know. Keep it on your hands. Mm. Um, wash your hands. That's also really important, especially if you've been on the OC Transpo buses. Uh, but like, <laughs> um, bacteria are your friends. They can also be your foe, but for the most part, they're your friends. Okay. Um, again, the main reason um, and part of your study uh, at school and in your PhD is how it relates to kind of mental health and also the effects of kind of mental health on your, so like I guess the correlation, am I kind of getting that right, between your microbiome and your mental health? Yeah. So, so what type of things do you research and study uh, in the lab? So my PhD project um, does look at the microbiome and mental health, specifically people with generalized anxiety disorder, but many of them are comorbid with major depression as well. And so the idea here is that your mental health can affect your microbes. The theory is called microbial, microbial endocrinology. So endocrinology, like hormones, um, is signaling back and forth. So your microbes can signal to you, and you can signal to your microbes, specifically through things like stress hormones. So it is really like a chicken or the egg type situation. We see that in people with mental health disorders, like anxiety and depression, some of the early research that's coming out with humans shows that there are changes um, and specific sort of changes. So you're having an overgrowth of those sort of opportunistic pathogen bacteria. Um, but did the mental health, whatever happened to you that made you depressed or anxious cause the changes in the microbiome or did something happen to your microbiome that th they are then signaling to you and your brain that makes you depressed and anxious, right? Like which one is really coming first? Mm -hmm. And what are like so far, I mean, that's, that's a huge question and probably um, a, a huge part of research, but is there any like kind of leaning on, on which way so far? Is it just kind of like it's, it's still early stages on that? 
It is early stages. There's some really interesting research and findings that when you take the um, fecal microbiota from humans or from mice or rodents or whatever your experimental uh, subject is, and you transfer that into um, you know, a mouse or whatever your recipient is, um, the fecal microbiota themselves, the bacteria themselves, cause changes in the behavior of the recipient meaning that the mice that receive the stress poops be, are acting like they're anxious or depressed. You're giving them stress poops? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the lab work isn't glamorous. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> all right, and I don't mean to make light of the subject, but a little humor is always good, especially when it comes to a serious subject. Do you feed them poop? Do you inject them with poop? Or like, are you just like pissing them off until they poop? So in the case of the, it's called the fecal microbiota I know, transplant. I but that's much more funny like this. Yeah. <laughs> you actually have to uh, gavage, which is you, you take the mouse and, and you take a syringe and you put the poop syringe oh. in its mouth and it eats it. Um, which is fine because, you know, a lot of these studies are done on rats and mice and they actually eat poop already. Are so. we into human testing yet? <laughs> human fecal microbiota transplants are a thing. <laughs> um, the, the research is still out. So it's used for uh, C. diff, which is a type of bacterial infection, okay. um, for people who don't respond to multi-antimicrobial therapies. But do not DIY this. <laughs> and I'm being serious, please. Do not ingest somebody else's poop. Um, I feel like it's it's a joke, but I also need to make that PSA. Yeah. Because there are instructions out there if you Google them. Uh, that's the internet for you. Thanks, social <laughs> media. <laughs> okay, so um, we've already established we have a bunch of bacteria. We're more bacteria than we are human in a way. Um, what types of things... You said it's all around us, but what types of things definitely like directly affect the ones in our gut? What are the types of things as humans that we are doing that, um, whether it's doing right or doing wrong, that affects this and kind of messes it all up? Right. So this, the things that can affect your microbiome kind of come from either um, your biology, so there's certain genetics, and this isn't really well described yet, that may determine um, what microbes are best in your gut environment. Uh, there's also a lot of environmental effects that so we talked about antimicrobials. Obviously, if you're taking antibiotics um, fairly regularly or compared to somebody who's never taken them, that's going to affect it. All sorts of drugs. The big one is diet. So what you eat, your microbes eat. So what you're feeding, it's kind of like feeding your dog, except there's like trillions of them feeling, mm. feeding your dogs. Um, so the diet is a really big component of that. There's also, like I just mentioned, your stress. So if you have a, a large stress in your life, um, the bacteria may change. There's also things like if you have a pet, the people you live, you live with also share your microbes with, which is kind of a gross fact if you really think about it too hard. So try not to do that. Yeah. Um, but Anything that's pretty much in your environment has the potential 
to affect your gut microbiome. Um, just a lot of it hasn't been elucidated. And what the most important ones are has not been elucidated. But something that's really interesting is a lot of mental health drugs, antidepressants, antipsychotics, have also been shown to be antimicrobial. So they kill and change the bacteria. Interesting. So, um, I mean, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but right now, uh, and to get into a serious subject, is when we take a look at, um, like, kind of mass shooters in America, um, oh, you know how it's kind of, I know, right? We're going to go right into this. Um, <laughs> Left field. But I, I said, what, part of the argument, right, is are guns good or guns bad? Um, and you have that side of the argument. But mm -hmm. the people who are saying it's not the guns, it's the people, a lot of them are saying they have a mental health disorder. So some of the argument put forth by some people, at least that I'm seeing, is... These people, um, before they're, they, they become shooters, they're on all sorts of, you know, like you said, antipsychotics, an, um, mm. SSRIs, um, AD, like Adderall, ADHD medication. So I'm wondering, and it's as I'm talking, it's probably mostly unfounded, but are are people studying maybe that cause and effect relationship between that and maybe taking people to the most extreme level? Like, is that possible? Like the microbiome yeah, causing yeah, yeah. the aggression? So, so, yeah, when we're putting it for, like, so you said how you put it in and it kind of affects it and destroys it. Could that be a, a possible correlation? Honestly, I have no, no idea. idea. Yeah, aggression and the microbiome would be a really interesting behavioral component to study. Um, it just hasn't been done yet. What kind of things are being studied right now outside of just you? So you're studying, you know, what you're studying, but what are the main areas that scientists are kind of studying with microbiome and trying to get to and find the answers for? So where we've kind of reached right now is we've made a bunch of associations. So we've shown that, you know, the microbiome is, is critical to our normal physiology, to our development across the lifestyle and for how uh, we process drugs, how we digest our food, all sorts of stuff like that. And also there's a lot of emerging research about autoimmune disorders and the microbiome, cancer and the microbiome, um, although obviously I know much less about those. Mm -hmm. But really where the field is going is taking these cutting edge technologies that were never available before and scaling up the sort of, or I guess, getting deeper into what is actually going on. So before, if they wanted to see what your microbiome was, they would do this in the 70s. They would take your poop and they would culture it, try to get the bacteria, although that was notoriously bad. A lot of the bacteria can't be cultured. Um, and then they would just try to make associations from that. Now we sequence the genetics. So the next steps are to not just sequence the genetics, but know, um, so the genetics tell us who's there and in what relative amounts. We also want to know what are they producing and at what rates are they producing? And then what are the individual components that then you know have effects on whatever it is that you're actually studying? So yeah, I guess the, the field is going, where is there the blind spot for the microbiome? So where in all of these other health-related and behavior-related research fields um, could the microbiome have been a component this entire time that's just been completely ignored? Interesting. So that could go to, you know, all those things, autism, ADHD. Yeah. Um, what about things like mood and obesity? Is it, does that also 
play a factor into it. Like in obesity. Yeah, like uh, the gut microbiome and your mood. Like, if you eat something good or something bad, like that. I know those are two separate questions to be mm-hmm. answered them one at a time. Yeah. But are those some other things that are kind of being affected by that uh, the microbiome? Yeah. So some of the first. I already mentioned earlier the fecal microbiota transplant. Some of those first studies were actually done with obesity. So what they would do is they would take the feces of obese mice and put them into lean mice. And then they would also take the feces of not obese mice and put them into lean mice. And the mice that received the obese feces would also become fatter. So they would gain more weight. And so this is really pointing to the idea that the microbes um, are sort of mediating this association. And really, it makes sense because your microbes provide nutrients for you. They provide energy and calories from your food. So the microbes that are in the obese feces are probably more likely taking more calories from the food. They're more actually efficient because they're giving you more energy. But, you know, you're trying to lose the five pounds because it's like summertime, you want to look good Hot girl on the summer. beach. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, that's not really working in your favor. Um, and your second question. So with mood. So mm-hmm. um, how does it directly correlate with your mood, if, if you know? Yeah. So the, some of those studies where they looked at what happens when you take away the microbiota completely. Does that change you know, quote unquote, the mood of research animals, because you can't just like ask a mouse how it's feeling or like you feeling pretty blue today or like, you know, anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to look at it through behavior. Um, So a lot of the research now is looking at, you know, can we give microbial therapies and see mood changes in humans? So the early research is pretty promising, um, but there's also a lot of conflicting studies. The study designs um, are sometimes poor, or you know, research subjects try their hardest to stick to study protocols, but we're all just humans, and you know, there's a lot of uh, conflicting information there. Interesting. Yeah, you see that a lot with people who. Um I know through, so I had um, on a previous episode, um, Alexander Sizem, who's a naturopath, and we were talking about elimination diets and um, how hard it is for people to do them and, and stick to them because it's, it's such a change. Would, would that type of stuff be beneficial to what you're trying to study, like elimination diets, um, where if you're looking to see, okay, does... Just for example, gluten, because that's the enemy right now. Um, that wee belly. Yeah, does, <laughs> right? Does, like, is that playing a negative effect, whereas like, does vegetables have a positive effect? Or are, there, like, are you sort of seeing that type of stuff? Is gluten as bad as they say that it is? I will not weigh in on gluten. Okay. But, yeah, so the, a lot of the nutrition research is focusing around the microbiome. So there's kind of two different components to your question there. There's the whole like psychology of eating where it's like if you're going to restrict yourself, all you're going to want to do is eat more of whatever it is you're mm-hmm. denying yourself of. Um, but in terms of like supporting your microbiome um, so that your microbiome could then turn around and support you, make you know, your mood better, so you're more likely to make positive food choices, that kind of stuff. Um, There's definitely some early research that's kind of supporting that, uh, mostly in the fact that, A, we don't know what a healthy microbiome is. Like, we we can't pinpoint what species are most beneficial. Um, 
and that kind of stuff. But what we do know is that the more diverse your microbiome is, generally, the better off you are. So how do you make it diverse? Um, diverse foods, really. So I have, and I'm not sure if this is actually supported by the research, but I always think, you know, you eat all these foods with preservatives and preservatives are meant to inhibit or kill bacteria. So what could really be happening there when we're eating foods with a lot of preservatives? Um, but yeah, your microbiome mostly feeds off of dietary fiber. So if you're eating lots of fruits and vegetables, literally the same dietary advice you would get from anyone telling you to eat healthy, which is eat a lot of like vegetables, different colors, different, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, eat the rainbow, um, whole grains, um, all different sources of fibers, try to limit, you know, um, all, a lot of those processed foods, that kind of stuff. I, going off on another tangent, like I did with the, the school shooting, but <laughs> I, I, I just, as you're talking and then you start putting pieces of the puzzle together. Um, so, there could be a, a, a variety of reasons why mental health seems to be more prominent today than it was, you know, back whenever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people talking about it more, people feeling that they can come forward, um, you know, all those types of things. But as you're talking, we're talking about preservatives. And, and we all know that if we go into the grocery store and are looking at labels and, and seeing all the things that are being shoved into our food and we have no clue what it is, I know the research might not be there and possible, but again, just trying to put pieces of the puzzle together, could food, preservatives, and this gut microbiome start, you know, is that playing a role in the rise in depression? Theoretically, I, I, know, that, I know that has to be studied, and I'm not giving a clear answer here, but mm -hmm. it, you know what I mean? Like, is, is this mm -hmm. kind of a, on the realm of possibilities? Absolutely. Um, so there's this group out of Australia led by uh, Felicia Jacka, and a lot of their research is looking at the epidemiology, so the associations um, across populations, so large scale, you know, you're involving thousands of participants and showing that if you have a poor diet, you're more likely to have higher symptoms of depression or anxiety or whatever measures they were looking at. Now, you could say, well, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're probably not eating great. You know, you don't have the motivation to do the things that you want to do in your life, let alone cook a healthy meal. But they took this one step further. They then do dietary interventions to show that, well, if you actually improve these people's diets, their mental health symptoms can also improve. So this is where nutrition research is going to support this um, because notoriously nutrition research can be super convoluted. And even within the peer reviewed stuff that's out there, if you want to find a study that supports whatever hypothesis that you have, um, it's pretty much out there. So we really need these both the large scale studies where we're showing the associations, we need to flip it on its head, show that interventions can cause the decrease in symptoms, and then go from there and keep diving in deeper. Like what is it about changing the diet? So a lot of the dietary interventions that are looked at are Mediterranean type diets, which is just uh, a catch-all for a diet that is high in vegetables, um, you know, has fruits, um, good sources of fats, so monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, olive oils, that kind of stuff, um, and whole grains. Mm -hmm. So um, I think just, 
I don't want to get you in trouble. So, um, oh no, <laughs> you can you can choose not to answer this. But I'm wondering because I think a lot of people, and especially on social media, you see um, on Facebook. God forbid you're reading the comments on Facebook. But uh, so the article come out. An article will be posted. It's like new study shows <laughs> or suggests, and then it's like this this headline claim, and then people are just like, bah! like keyboard warding and and everything. So. I think a lot of people are skeptical when it comes to studies now because so many mm-hmm. different things. Um, how do we know? So when we see a study get posted um, through the media or whatever, mm-hmm. like, how do we know it's good? It's, it's like a good study, or is there important things to note about that's mm-hmm. about a study when you read it? Just you know, coming from like a um, more clinical background than me, and you you understand this stuff a whole lot better than me. Like, how can we sort kind of the bullshit and like the good? things coming forward because I, I also think the conspiracy theorist in me that <laughs> you know big agriculture and big pharma put mm-hmm. money into these studies to basically disprove things um, so just trying to help people who are listening in, in the audience how do we decipher what's good and what's not oh man this is such a hard question uh, first of all was it done in humans or is it a mouse because Mice are not humans. Mm. So this is I uh, shocker, right? <laughs> um, so if you see, you know, these intervention studies being done in mice, you know, uh, it's a stepping stone for the science. It may not be translatable to you or the person who's reading it. Um, the onus really comes back on the scientists, in my opinion, is we need to be really diligent about making sure that the implications of our study getting out there um, that they're being reported on correctly but you know it's the clickbait era so everyone wants these like catchy titles um, like even with research studies now they're getting a little bit out of hand there was like 50 shades of microglia uh-huh. uh, which is a brain cell <laughs> type sexy microbiome <laughs> yeah and was, okay <laughs> but I'm sure the paper was great, but it's just that idea that like people want to read stuff that it's um, cohesive and you know they have a really clear takeaway from it. But the reality with research is more research is always warranted. So um, there are places you can go. Like you're never going to get the answers to your question from one research study, and it's unfortunate that so many of the research studies are behind paywalls for that reason, right. um, because you're not going to pay thirty dollars for one article. Um, but you know, as the research becomes more, the ideas that we can take away will become clearer and like I said the onus really comes back on the scientists to make sure that we're communicating what is best practice right and just for like health normal healthy living not even in the context of having a disorder or disease right um you have a chapter in a book coming out soon we have an undetermined uh date coming out but it's called the role of nutrition during aging a handbook for nutritional neuroscience and I'll let your chapter is called do you remember it off the top of your head? I think butterflies in your stomach. Yeah, I, I highlighted it. There you go. How nutrition can influence anxiety in an aging population. I had to read that off the page. <laughs> tell, me, tell, tell me about that. What is that whole chapter about? So this chapter was specifically focusing on anxiety and, and not depression, which is less researched. Um, but essentially 
you kind of see with anxiety disorders two peaks. You see it in early life, so between kind of like, you know, your teenage years to your early mid-20s, and then it kind of tapers down, and then it peaks again later on in life. And so we call this a bimodal distribution, and we want to know why. Um, so the sort of basic idea there is that aging is associated with inflammation, which is a hot topic. Mm -hmm. We call it inflammaging, very catchy. And so the idea is that inflama inflammation can affect anxiety and your diet can affect your levels of inflammation. Um, so some of this is just through the dietary components themselves, but also through the microbiome. So we, myself and Natasha Osborne and my supervisor, Marie-Claude O'Day, who are the co-authors on the chapter, kind of outline, you know, this is what we believe is going on in terms of aging and anxiety disorders. And this is the different types of research that associate nutrition um, or um, malnutrition with influencing these processes. So... Right. Are there different results between men and women from what you've seen in terms of that what was it, what's it called again? A bimicro... Bimodal. Modal, damn yeah. it. Um, Close. Do you know, like, is there a difference between mm -hmm. how men and women deal with that yeah, as so they get older? Women uh, are overrepresented in anxiety and mood disorders in general. Right. So you're more likely to have an anxiety disorder as a woman. We seem to be uh, more prone to them, probably through our sex hormones, thanks estrogen. But... Mm. Um, yeah, and there's sort of interesting research that's coming out now that there's also some genetic components that might make people more likely to be affected by their diet. Okay. So is it like old people don't eat healthy? <laughs> um, definitely not the case for everyone. <laughs> but, you know, when you're aging and you're moving through transitional periods, especially if you know, uh, you've lost a significant other, you're moving into a retirement home or some sort of long care, long term care facility, um, your diet is likely to change. And I worked in a retirement home. I saw the diet that they ate. You know, it's a lot less diverse than, well, it's less diverse than what I was eating, but that's not a good uh, benchmark to put it at. But definitely, if you have diet changes, is the anxiety that you're seeing coming from the life transition? Is it coming from the nutrition changes? Is it both? Likely both. But, you know, we try to isolate what the uh, extent of each. Right. Because I would assume the life changes also kind of like plays a role in how that's affecting and then like, you know, how you're eating, right? Like they all kind of relate to each other. Um, are you familiar with the blue zones uh, in the world? No, that's okay. I don't know if anyone else blink, is. Blink, blink. The blink, blue blink. zones. So um, it, was a, it was a study. It was done. So the blue zones are these pockets in the world um, that basically the population who live in these zones live so much longer and healthier lives than mm. they do the rest of the world. So um, somewhere in the Mediterranean, I know Japan, had, like the, I, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but... This is what happens when you don't do prep and you just talk. <laughs> um, but a big thing about um, these people living such long lives are 
things like um, so it's a very much agricultural society so they're they're out farming their own food and it's organic and, and everything and um, they all have a, a, a base of community um, that, that go into that so now I'm, I'm wondering like those are just a few of the examples of why I encourage um, if you're listening to look it up because it's truly fascinating all those things so um, eating organic food that you've grown yourself um, working out in the field out day like outside and in nature, um, kind of being away mostly from technology, having a good community, are all those things playing a role in their microbiome? Would, would that, that like all kind of relates to it as well? I think absolutely. Um, and really this kind of comes back to the basis of my research, which is on stress, right? Stress not only in people with anxiety and mood disorders, but also in regular average people so the things you just described having a social community having you know um, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables readily available and and living being active right all of those things really help to lower those stress levels cumulatively right Right. Um, and just to jump back to something that we were talking about before, Um, the elderly people who continue to eat diverse diets and continue to be active don't have the same inflammation and um, what we would quote as negative microbiome changes or less diverse microbiomes as those people who live in the the long-term care homes and have the sort of preset diets. Um, So those sort of things living in those blue zones could definitely support a more diverse microbiome. Um, What's really interesting to me and something that I'm looking at in my current study is does the role of social support play a a factor Mm. in altering our microbiomes as well? Yeah, that's an interesting, right? Because people who are depressed or anxious sometimes reserve themselves and isolate themselves um, from other people where one of the best things you can do for depression and, and anxiety is be maybe not so much as much anxiety, but depression mm-hmm. for sure is be around people that you love or love you and you know, just, just talk and, and share in it. It's, it's one of those catch 22 things that, that sucks about it because it actively takes you away from things that are good for you. Absolutely. And when you're around people, you're also sharing your microbes with them. Yeah. And that's <laughs> get diverse microbes. We know is super good. <laughs> um, so when we're talking about that, that, that dip, again, I want to go back to that because um, in one of my previous episodes, uh, I, I read that men, um, specifically from 45 to 55, are the highest um, rates of suicide right now, specifically white men, 45 to 55. And um, just before this episode this morning, um, my friend texted me and let me know that her uncle, who is in that age range, um, just com- you know, took their own life, which, which sucks. So I'm wondering, like, what can be done about that in terms of what we're already talking about here? Um, is it that is kind of a transition p- part for their lives? So we're, when we're talking about old people, are we also seeing some of the same symptoms and things? And does this paint a broader picture for, for human life that we rather regardless of our age and when we may show signs of it, is it important that like we still all rely on these same baselines um, as a whole? You're not understanding my question. That's okay. Um, let me explain it better. So you're old, you were talking about the older population moving in and the effects of 
their lives uh, changing, also their you know, their nutrition, isolating themselves, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, as you tell me that, you tell me about young people. We were just talking about isolating yourself when um, social community is really, really good for you. When we're talking specifically about, so now I see this problem with men, and this just all happened, and I wanted to bring it up because it's important. All those things lead to, do all these things lead to these same common factors uh, for everybody, regardless of age, income, background, um, anything like that, that the human nature relies on kind of the same fundamental things for your mental health? I guess that's my question. Does, is that true for the most part? A long-winded I, answer. Yeah, Ugh. no, I definitely believe so. My own personal philosophy is that mental health is like a wheel, right? So for your wheel to be um, functional, it needs to have all the spokes, right? Mm-hmm. So those spokes include things like social community, like good nutrition, um, making sure that you're sleeping well, that you're, you have coping mechanisms, that you're dealing with um, both you know, your behavioral uh, things that stress you out, right? Like people do, we do things that stress ourselves out. So making sure that you work on being aware of those sort of things. Um, They're all kind of spokes in the wheel. Um, The way that we treat mental health um, is mostly through the medical model, which is if you're really struggling, you're probably gonna go to your doctor um, and your doctor may prescribe you pharmaceuticals, which are very much needed. But having a reduction um, in your symptoms, if you have something else going on in your life, is not going to change those other things going on in your life, right? right? Um, and as like, this is that wheel is kind of like a default setting for all humans for the most part, right? Like yeah. all these, we all kind of have the same wheel and we all kind of need the same things um, to make sure that, you know, to have the most positive influence on our mental health. I guess that was how, what I was trying to get at. Do we all kind of have that same wheel um, for the most part? Yeah, absolutely. Because everyone has mental health the same way that they have physical health. Right. Right. So when it comes to curating mental wellness, um, everybody needs to make sure that they're meeting their basic emotional, physical, um, you know, spiritual needs that they have, um, social needs, those sort of things, uh, whether or not you have a disorder right. or an illness. Um, what kind of role does exercise play, like specifically exercise? I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, going out gardening and all those things, but like that when we're talking more traditional exercise, hour in the gym or going for a run, weightlifting, what types of things, how does that affect what's going on in your stomach in terms of the biome and stress and mental health and everything like that? That's super exciting, actually, because it's not su- it's not really looked at a bunch, although okay. our lab is looking to start some animal research looking at the effects of exercise on the gut microbiome, so stay tuned, I guess. Okay. Um, but exercise has a lot of benefits on, on mental health, whether it's reducing stress, reducing inflammation, giving you a sense of accomplishment. Again, it really goes back to those different pillars where exercise is affecting your biome it's affecting your psychology, um, how you think about yourself, and um, probably also your so, like your social sphere, the people you know because you're exercising, or you know you feel more confident so you go out, all those sort of things, which are generally positive in your life and help you live a happy um, life where you can support your own mental wellness. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. 
Um, you mentioned when we were talking on the phone, because like I said, we've never met before. So no. trying to see if there's chemistry to stretch out an hour sometimes can be interesting. You mentioned you went to Venice. Yes. And that was, that was for like a, a research conference or, or something on this subject? or So it was a condensed course okay. on the microbiome, brain, and behavior. Because as it stands, like I said, a lot of this research is, is very new-ish within the last couple decades. Uh, so the sort of leaders in the field, the people who um, have done the most seminal and uh, impactful work, on showing that the microbiome specifically affects our behavior, our mood, um, was put on. So Dr. John Cryan, Dr. Jane Foster, and Dr. Uh, Rochelle's Diaz-Hedgitz, and I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, so I'm sorry if she's listening to this and I've just butchered her last <laughs> name. Um, so they were put on this course where it was pretty much a week long and you had you know, all day lectures and workshops about this because it's not really being taught in universities right now um, as like courses. So now a lot of courses are just starting to integrate the fact that, oh, hey, we have this bioreactor of microbes that is always doing stuff for us. We should probably integrate this into our, you know, uh, hormones classes or classes on toxicology because the microbiome has a huge effect on those things. Okay. Um, how'd you fall into this? Um, I don't think anyone, you know, when you're nine years old saying, I want to be a study guts, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, like what, if, if you don't mind sharing or share mm -hmm. to an extent, like what got you into this, this field of study? So I was always interested in food and nutrition because I became a vegetarian at a really young age. I was 13 or 14. Um, so I was always like, oh yeah, food has such an impact over our health. Um, so my minor when I started at Carleton University was <clears throat> in food science and nutrition. And then I took a course on stress and mental health. And I was like, oh wow, this is super cool. Um, the professor who was teaching it had published a paper looking at the microbiome. I knew that the microbiome was sort of influ like influenced with nutrition. And I was like, this is really interesting to me. I was also really struggling with my own anxiety um, and my own depression. So when I came to school, I thought that... <clears throat> my anxiety was completely normal. I was like, oh yeah, I'm not sleeping because I'm a university student. <laughs> totally normal. I'm eating crazy because I'm a university student. Yeah. Um, and then when I became depressed and I couldn't go to school anymore, I was like, I should probably see some help for this. And so that kind of started about four years ago, started on this journey of like really looking at my own mental health. And I had ended up in a lab. So Dr. Marie-Claude O'Day. So we're at the, both the Royal Ottawa, Ottawa university school nutrition um and i was like i really want to study this which was in all honesty a terrible idea because i was researching exactly what was wrong with me mm. depression and anxiety and i was having anxiety attacks and feeling super unmotivated to theoretically look at all of the things that were going on in my own life but i'm pretty headstrong very stubborn. So I was like, you know what? No, we're going to we're going to push through this. We're going to, you know, get better at studying all of this stuff. And it's so interesting the idea that your microbes, things that are on like this table in this glass, all these sort of things can have an effect 
on your brain. It's just, I geek out about it so much. So it definitely helps keep the, the passion right. burning, even when you know my own mental health isn't always on point. Right. So what types of things do you do personally? Um, you know all the stuff about it. Um, there's stuff we're never gonna be able to touch on within 55 minutes to an hour because mm-hmm. it's such a, a vast topic. What type of things do you do personally that seems to work for you um, when you're thinking about, okay, is this gonna play a good role for me? It's a bad role for me. Like what, what do you live with? So I've definitely integrated, like I am my own guinea pig, which is great because I have access to all these published studies. So I put myself through some questionable things sometimes. Like who? Um, I like, I like <laughs> poop. It's, I never thought I would be at a point in my life where I would be so pleased to have a filing cabinet full of human poop. Oh. But I am. <laughs> and so for me, it really started with nutrition. I was like, I had been one of those people where it's like, I'm going to try this diet. I'm going to try that diet, the, the low carb, the low fat, um, all these sort of things. And then when I realized, oh, I can just eat for my microbiome, I was like, you know, vegetables are the focus. If I can get, you know, my full servings of vegetables every day, then I'm, I'm doing the right thing and obviously limiting the processed food. Um, exercise is a big thing. Although anybody out there who's ever struggled with depression knows that it's incredibly hard to exercise. So even just walking, like I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna walk to school every single day, that's an hour. And then it bridged on to running and you know doing yoga and trying to fit in a lot more exercise, strength training, that kind of stuff. Um, I take a prebiotic fiber. So prebiotics are specifically fibers that we can't digest. They're only digested by the microbes. So I take that every morning in my coffee, um, which is great. I've also tried multiple probiotics, although um, both the quality of the probiotics that are on the market and also what strains are beneficial for what effects um, is still kind of being worked out and they're expensive. So I don't always take them, but sometimes when I'm in a high stress um, situation, I do. And I do a lot of also psychobehavioral work. So working with mental health professionals, um, you know, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy has been really transformative for me and meditating. Mm. So I feel like I just listed off all the things that you would see and like 10 things to do for mental health wellness, but I do do them and they are beneficial. I mean, I'm sitting here with you right now, um, relatively calm, as opposed to having an anxiety attack in the bathroom beforehand. So that's a big change in my life. Um, But yeah. That's funny, because I'm very much the same thing. And the whole reason I started this podcast is because for me, learning seems to be very motivating to me. And I really like, um, you know, I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted to learn from people and, and, I, I do all those things that, that you say too. I don't meditate. I, I've tried it and I just haven't got there yet. Mm-hmm. But it, it's so funny that to hear someone who's at least related to the field, like the things on the internet, usually that, the, again, those 10 things aren't necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it should be seen as goofy or either. Like, you know, like the exercise, the nutrition, the yoga, because you need that spiritual connection. Um, um, I'm glad you brought up the prebiotic and probiotic because I was going to ask you that because on my la- one of my last episodes with my naturopath, I was like, um, 
I, I take probiotics. She's like, you don't, like, no, don't. There's no point. I'm like, oh, man. The, but Google told me I should. So now I'm going to do prebiotics, and now that you're on the line for that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to see if that works. Because, you know, um, as I said in, in, in the introduction, I'm a, a, I speak about it, and I don't speak about, like, what you're doing about research or, or anything, and I don't give advice. It's just here's what I've struggled with. Here's what I do. Here mm -hmm. seems what to work. Here's what doesn't work. Um, whether, and people take it and all those things kind of fall under the, the realm of what I, I'm trying to do with my life. So I'm, I'm glad to hear at least someone who's a lot smarter than I am is also trying these things and, and seeing what sticks. Um, we're almost out of time here. We've got about five minutes left. So that's, that's pretty good. Where do you see the future? Where, what do you see? Because right now I think everyone can agree we're probably the most anxious and depressed as a human species we've ever been. Um, you know, talk about inflammation. Um, that's a huge area of study that I know nothing about and I would love to get into, but we don't really have the time. Um, you know, the stress, now we're learning all about this. Like, what is your hope? What is your goal? And where do you kind of see this field of study taking us? Will it solve the problems? Do we have a bright future? I know the world's going to end with climate change soon. <laughs> Can you figure it out in time? You're up against the clock. What, what does the future hold? Um, the future, and you hear this not just from you know microbiome researchers, but a lot of other fields, is personalized medicine. So it's kind of taking into account you know somebody's genetics, somebody's past history, um, the drugs they've taken, the experiences they've had, um, if they've experienced uh, trauma, especially early on in life. Um, and, you know, curating a treatment plan that works for people to reduce their specific symptoms, because two people could show up to you and they both say they have depression. One eats more, sleeps all day. The other person can't eat anything and hardly ever sleeps. And they're both considered to be major depression. So there's um, a lot of sort of umbrella terms with the diagnoses. Um, and so the treatments are also kind of, okay, this is the hierarchy of, of what we're going to do to try to treat you. But if you came to a doctor and then they were like, oh, we're going to test your microbiome. We're going to um, take into account the fact that you have, you know, this sort of genetic background or these sort of things. And then they could tailor their treatments towards you. Like I was saying earlier, um, there seems to be certain genetics that determine whether or not you're going to be more responsive to diet. Um, so maybe some people would be like, yeah, you would highly benefit from changing your diet. This other person, eh, you know, they feel great whether they eat or they feel the same whether they eat McDonald's or a salad. That to mm -hmm. simplify that. Um, for the microbiome research, I'd love to see it be used as a biomarker so we can be like, yeah, you do have this disorder based on these changes. And then it's so easy to sample people's poop. Like you're just getting rid of it all the time, right? So Should I start collecting it? Like just for my, like... No. My girlfriend? Okay, what about my girlfriend? Should she? I mean, if you guys would like to participate in our research study, we are still recruiting. Oh, geez, okay. <laughs> um, so I will take your poop for you. Uh, weird, okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the idea that 
if maybe when you uh, you're in remission from a disorder, you then also see that reflected in the microbiome, that would be really awesome as well, uh, because your microbiome is sort of uh, reflecting what's going on inside of you. So what food you're eating, what drugs you're taking, if you're really stressed. So if we could nail down exactly what those changes are, there's a, a world of possibility for less invasive treatments. I think, I don't know if you're on Tinder or anything, but that would be a great <laughs> bio. I, I'll take your poop. <laughs> Just saying. Would that not be, I'd... She's going to get a lot. I agree. Uh, really weird matches, indeed. <laughs> um, can people, where can people find your work if they can yet? Website, anything like social media, publishing, nothing quite there yet? No, we're working on getting some stuff published. Uh, like the book should be coming out soon. I think you'll be able to order it on Amazon. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, ADS underscore bunny. Uh, post mostly about science stuff, political stuff, how mm. it kind of intersects. Um, because that's, I mean, even for the microbiome, it intersects with your life, right? And um, just, I guess, as like a note, the best way to make these changes to support your mental wellness is to integrate it into your life, right? Um, and make it sort of, uh, like you said, you wanted to hear from people, you wanted to be more social, you wanted to um, do these things to help yourself. If you integrate it, it's a great way to do that. I do that by fermenting a lot of food. I'm obsessed with microbes. Oh, my roommate used to make kefir. No, not not a chance. I feel um, like my kombucha would change your mind. Okay, we're going to talk after for <laughs> sure. Um, you can follow us, uh, Facebook and Instagram, at Life and Red Podcast. Twitter, at Life and Red Pod, and lifeandredpodcast.com. Ana Santos, thank you so much for doing this with me. Um, I really, really appreciate it, and awesome. I look forward to seeing where your work uh, takes the rest of the world. Thank you. Thanks for being such a gracious host, Ryan. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yeah, for sure. So thank you very much to Ryan and Anna. Um, Ryan gave you his um, social media contacts, so please do be sure that you subscribe to his show and follow him. Uh, we're now going to take about a half hour break, so everyone who's here, the big giant crowd, rush out, get your dinner, and then come on back. Uh, we're going to be starting up again around 7.15ish, uh, 7.20. Uh, if you do go out and grab some food, remember, uh, no drinks. You'll get your drinks here at the bar, uh, and that's it. So again, thank you very much, and we look forward to seeing you this evening.